0: Amen. Good morning, family. It's always good to bring God's Word to you. This morning, uh, we are taking a break from our study in Matthew's Gospel. Last week, we began the first of five weeks studying our five identities as a local church Our main practice here, for those of you that are guests this morning, is to walk through a book of the Bible verse by verse and study Scripture together. But occasionally, we find it helpful to look at topics that are especially important in the life of the church. And this morning, we're looking at our identity as worshipers. Uh, We'll be in Hebrews chapter 10 in just a moment, so go ahead and get your Bible and be turning there. While you're turning there, I want you to think with me about family dinners. Family dinners matter. Uh, Researchers have shown that the time-tested tradition of a family gathering around a dinner table without a TV on, without devices out, family gathering around a dinner table, talking to each other has a host of positive benefits. Researchers have found that dinnertime conversations are proven to increase vocabulary in children even more than reading books out loud to them. Do You want to know the, the easiest way to predict high achievement scores among middle and high schoolers? The number one thing is not the time spent at school or the amount of time they spend doing homework. The most important indicator is the family's mealtime habits. Additional benefits of family dinner include things like an overall healthy lifestyle, a reduction of symptoms in various medical disorders, decreased anxiety, A lower likelihood of high-risk teenage behaviors like smoking or binge drinking or marijuana use. Uh, These benefits, just a few of those benefits, have led one Harvard professor to conclude that family dinners are the most important thing you can do with your kids. Family dinners matter more than many people think. I can tell you at our own home, as we gather around the table every night for dinner, we, uh, we laugh, sometimes we cry, we encourage each other, we pray together, we hear from God's word, we pick on each other, and sometimes we eat our food, we spill things, and we clean it up. And all this life happens around the family dinner table. It's a beautiful, glorious thing. They matter more than many of us think. I want to suggest to you that the same dynamic is true at your local church. I want you to think about showing up to church. Something like showing up to the family dinner table it matters more than many people think. And yet, just like there are many families that might know that a family dinner is important but still neglect the importance of a technology-free time at the dinner table, there are many Christians who would say, sure, showing up for worship is important, but it's just not the highest priority in my life right now. Uh, Several years ago, Tom Rainer said this about declining church attendance in America. Listen to this. The number one reason for the decline in church attendance, number one reason, here it is, is that members attend with less frequency than they did just a few years ago. Interesting. The number one reason for declining church attendance in America is not the Academy, or Progressives, or Hollywood, or Netflix, but that members attend with less frequency than they used to. He continues. He says, allow me to explain. If 200 members attend every week, the average attendance is what? 200. Very good. We're good at math. We're just getting started. Don't worry. He continues. But if half of those members miss one out of four weeks, guess what the average, uh, average attendance becomes? 175. Now, I didn't do that math in my head. Don't be impressed. I'm just quoting Tom Rainer. He says, no members left the church. Everyone is still relatively active in the church, but attendance has declined by over 12% because half the membership changed their attendance behavior slightly. Most Christians, I would say most of you in this room, I'm preaching to the choir this morning, we agree that showing up matters matters. But far too often, our actions speak louder than our words. So this morning, with God's help, I want us to recapture a theology of church attendance. That's what we're want to look at in our text in Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 23. Now, the book of Hebrews w- was written around A.D. 60, early A.D. 60s, to show Christians the supremacy of Christ. So if you read the book of Hebrews, you'll see that Jesus is better than angels. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than the priests. He offers a, a better covenant. He gives himself as a better sacrifice. And on and on the book goes, but it's not merely enough to admit that Jesus is better than all these other things. The writer of Hebrews wants you, Christian, to hold on to your hope that Jesus is better, to persevere in hope. And that's what he's getting at in our text in Hebrews 10, verses 23 to 25. Let's look at it together. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope With God's help this morning from our text, I want to ask and answer three simple questions about church attendance. Three simple questions. If you're in this room and you're a follower of Jesus, here's my prayer for you, that you would hear this and you would respond by by evaluating your own life, your own faithfulness to local church, whether that's PBC or somewhere else, and you would respond as the Lord leads you from His Word. For those of you in this room that aren't followers of Jesus, you're kind of in the awkward place of sitting in at a family dinner and listening to us talk to each other. This text is written primarily to Christians. So we're so glad that you're here. We're grateful that you're here, and we hope that you're helped by what you hear. But really, what you need today is not to show up the church more. Although we would certainly welcome you if you did. What you need today, friend, is a relationship with Jesus Christ. We'll talk more about that as we move along. The so three questions about church attendance from our text. Question number one, who should attend church? Who should, a- should attend church? Now, the question is not who can attend church. The answer to that question is pretty simple. Anybody can attend and should attend a good local church. This church, hopefully, is welcoming and inviting to anybody that walks through these doors. Whether you're a Christian or not, you could be a a Muslim or a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness or a Buddhist or an atheist, and you might be one of those things or even more. We We hopefully should welcome you in to this place. You can gather with us. We should welcome anybody and everybody who walks into these doors, whether they agree with us on any of the things that we believe. Some churches will go off the rails a little bit when we shift from trying to welcome anybody who attends to trying to make anybody who attends feel comfortable. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, you probably have been uncomfortable at least once already this morning. I'm just going to tell you, I'm okay with that. Now, I'm not trying to make you uncomfortable on purpose, but... This is primarily a gathering of Christians, and if you're not a follower of Jesus, some of the things we do are just weird. Like, we pray for a long time sometimes. Uh, Maybe you're a Christian, and you say, that's even weird for me. I mean, you know, I'm I'm used to the sort of, you know, uh, God is great, God is good, let us thank Him for our food, amen, sort of deal. Well... The Bible is pretty clear that the people of God are praying people, and so when we gather, we pray, and sometimes we pray for a long time, and we do that because that's what followers of Jesus do, and if you're not a follower of Jesus, it's going to be uncomfortable for you. Now We don't, we don't uh, you know, kind of set up our service with strategic napping points for you. It's not the intent of the long prayer times. It's the intent is that as followers of Jesus, our hearts are drawn to God in prayer. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, that's just weird and uncomfortable. I could go on and on about all the other weird things that we do if you're not a follower of Jesus. We could eliminate all of those things to make you more comfortable, but we would be abandoning what we're taught in the Scriptures about what the church is supposed to do the end of our service today, we're going to take a meal together. And if you're not a Christian, this is going to seem like a weird meal. It's a little piece of bread and a little sip of juice. That's weird. Why do we do that? It's uncomfortable. We do that out of obedience to the instructions of Jesus. And so, when we say anybody can attend here, that's certainly true, but the, 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 the question that we're asking this morning is, who should attend the church? And the answer to that question is Christians. Who should attend church? You should, Christian. Look at the text with me, if you will. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, he says, let us, he's talking to a group of people, us, Hold fast. Grab on to something. What are we grabbing on to? What are we holding fast to? The confession of our hope. Confession, he doesn't mean like an apology, like you're saying you're sorry. A confession, in this context, is something that you profess. It's a confession of faith. It's a belief. And it's a confession of hope. And he's saying, grab on. Hold fast to your hope and do it together. This is a call for Christians to grab on to the truth of the gospel where our hope is found and not let go. So what is the confession of our hope? It's the good news of the gospel. Here's the gospel really simply. The gospel begins with a God who is holy and who created this world and everything in it. He exists. He's real. He's holy. And he created this universe. He created this incredible, glorious, magnificent cosmos and all that's in it. And the pinnacle of his creation was a man and a woman named Adam and Eve. They were created to reflect his image, to live like mirrors, to show the rest of his creation what he is like. And yet, our first parents, Adam and Eve, the first humans failed miserably. They disobeyed God. Gave them one command, and they they broke it. And as a result, this curse called sin has crept into the human race, and it has infected everything. Our brother Sam illustrated that this morning. He prayed a prayer of confession, and, and, you know, seven, eight minutes confessing one sin. That's just one then go to Mark chapter 7, verses 20 to 23, and Jesus says there's a whole host of sins that are rooted in your heart. You sin by not doing the things that you should do. You sin by doing the things that you shouldn't do. You sin by doing the wrong things. You sin by doing the right things for the wrong reasons. You sin by doing the right things in the wrong way. And you sin by doing the right things in the right way and then getting proud about it. You see how sin has infected everything. That's really bad news if God is holy and righteous and just and cannot look upon sin. But the Bible teaches us that God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Jesus Christ came to this earth, lived a sinless life. Never sinned the way that we do. Died a sinner's death on a cross and rose from the dead so that whoever believes in him can have everlasting life. That's the confession of our hope. That's what we believe in. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, hold fast to that. If you believe that, grab onto it and don't let go. And you are the people, you are the ones that he says must not neglect gathering together. So our answer to this question, who should attend church? Christian, is you. You. It is you, dear Christian, who must faithfully gather with the people of God. Not your agnostic neighbor. Not your Muslim co-worker. Of course, they're welcome to attend, and hopefully if they did attend, we would welcome them and love them. But it is you who must. It is you, Christian. Uh, Let's move on to our second question this morning. Why? Why should we attend church? Kent Hughes said this about this topic On the most elementary level, you do not have to go to church to be a Christian. That's true. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. But he continues, you don't have to go home to be married either. But in both cases, if you do not, you will have a very poor relationship. Married folks in the room, you don't have to go home to be married, but it's recommended that you do. You don't have to talk to your husband or wife to be married, but you should. You don't have to come to church to be a Christian. But if you don't, there's something really, really wrong. There are benefits to gathering with God's people. Let's consider three. I could give you a bunch of these, but let me just limit myself to the three that are here in the text. Three benefits of gathering with God's people from this text. Number one, when we attend church, it helps us hold on to hope. Look at verse 23 again. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. He says, hold fast. And then he goes on to how you hold fast, and that is by not neglecting to meet together. So by gathering faithfully with God's people, by attending church regularly, by not neglecting this, we hold on to hope. We could say, one of the fruits of faithfully gathering with God's people, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, is that you have a greater grip on hope. John Owen, in his commentary on Hebrews, says this, Whatever reserves men may have in their minds that they would still continue to believe in Christ though they attended not in these assemblies, God regards it not. In other words, you could say, hey, I don't have to go to church to keep believing. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. By God's grace, I have been in ministry in some form for almost 16 years. And in that length of time, I've seen tragically many people fall away from the faith that they once professed in Christ. Probably you have too. People that once said I'm a Christian say I am no longer. Can I tell you what? In every single instance, every single one, the person falls away from God's people first, and then they fall away from faith in Christ. Do you see how gathering together faithfully helps us hold on to hope? You, you might say, I, you know, I don't need to attend church to keep hoping, but you'd be wrong. If your hope is leaking this morning, dear Christian, It could be because your grip on God's people is loosening. If you sow a loose grip on God's people, you will reap a loose grip on gospel hope. Christian, if you want a strong, deep, rich, vibrant faith and hope in Christ, then you will grab on to his people. It helps us hold on to hope. Second reason in the text is that it provokes you. Gathering faithfully provokes you to love and good works. Now, we usually use that word provoke in a negative context, like quit provoking your sister, right? This is is a good, positive kind of provoking. Look at verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another. The KJV says, provoke one another unto love and good works. When we faithfully gather, we stir each other up to love and good works. Uh, Consider a few ways that this might happen. Parents of young kids... You go to pick up your children after the service or right before communion. We're going to do that today. Don't forget. You're going to pick up your little ones before communion. You go to pick them up, and man, they're frazzled, right? Like hairs going every direction, smokes coming out of their nostrils, right? the face is red. Like, man, this was a bad day in nursery today. And you go to pick up your child, and you stop, and you say a word of thanks to the volunteers that cared cared for your little ones today. And you said, you know what? I know this is hard, but you've blessed my family today. Thank you. What have you done? You've encouraged them. You've stirred them up to love and good works. Or or maybe right after you get into your seat on a Sunday morning, a man or a woman comes up to you and they begin talking to you and, and thanking you for the prayer that you led a few weeks ago say, you know what, that prayer of confession that you prayed, God has used that in my life to help me fight that sin. Thank you. What have you done? You've stirred up that brother, that sister, to love and good works. Maybe a fellow church member is sitting near you, tears streaming down her face as we sing a hymn like this, through many Dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. And you watch the tears stream down, and you realize this is real to her. And she's still singing. I can sing too. Man, my life hurts right now, but I know what she's going through, and she's singing that the grace that brought me safe thus far will be the same grace that will bring me home, and if she can sing that, then I can do. What's happening? She's stirring you up to love and good works. Or just a few weeks ago in a sermon, I encouraged you to talk to somebody you didn't know after the service. I heard from some of you that you did that and took up that challenge and new relationships were formed. What's happening here? Stirring each other up to love and good works. That's what's happening when we gather. Notice that this stirring up, it's a two-way street. People stir you up, you stir them up. People encourage you, you encourage them. That's what happens when God's people gather. Number three... Gathering faithfully helps us to persevere. Look at verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What's the day that the author of Hebrews is referring to? In many of our Bibles, it's capitalized, the day. That ought to give us a hint. This is the day when Christ returns. And the author of Hebrews says, listen, that day is drawing nearer. Now, we don't know when it's going to be. We're not a church that predicts when Christ is coming back, okay? We have no idea, but we know it's sooner than it was when we first believed. It's coming. It's coming. And the author of Hebrews tells us, as that day gets nearer, The world around you will get darker. Life will get harder. Faith will be more challenging and more difficult. Temptation will be stronger. Guess what? As that happens, as the world tries to squeeze us into its mold, what do we need? We need the people of God. We need to persevere. And one of the ways that we persevere is by holding fast to hope together. God uses the church to help us persevere. One pastor put it this way. We desperately need the church for love, for maturity and preparedness, for spiritual care. It is, listen, it is arrogant, rebellious, self-reliant, God-indicting pride to conclude that the church is an optional extra to the Christian life. We need everything God designs for us. Everything. To reject what God designs for His glory and our good is spiritual suicide. To reject the church is to take your own spiritual life. Let that sink in, Christian. To reject the people of God, to forsake the gathering, is to commit no less than spiritual suicide. Kevin DeYoung put it this way, the man who attempts Christianity without the church shoots himself in the foot, shoots his children in the leg, and shoots his grandchildren in the heart. it's always astonishing to me when Christians who do not prioritize gathering with God's people are astonished when their adult children reject Christ. Do you not see what we're doing here? If we want to persevere, we need the people of God. We need each other. That's the why. Final question to ask and answer this morning is how? How should we attend church? Here's what I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you how to dress when you come to church. Some of you are in suits. You look wonderful. Some of you have ties on. That's fantastic. Some of us are in jeans or in shorts. That's fine, too. The Bible talks about modesty in dress, but does not say that we must dress up fancy to come to church. If you want to do that, praise God, that's wonderful. You don't have to. I'm not going to even talk to you about what time you should arrive. Some of you like to be here at 10 o'clock when the service starts at 1030. Some of you like to come early for Sunday school. That's wonderful. Some of you prefer to come after the announcements. (laughs) We're glad you're here too. We could talk about lots of different things, but let me just offer a few, I think, the most crucial principles about how to attend church. Number one, attend consistently. Attend consistently. Verse 25 again, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. What does it mean to neglect the gathering? Once again, John Owen is helpful here in his commentary on Hebrews. He says there's two types of neglect. There's total neglect. These are those who, whose absence from God's people is so egregious that it seems to indicate they're not truly born again. So to, to put it bluntly, an able-bodied member, by able-bodied we mean somebody who's able to be here but chooses not to be here. We're not talking about the the sick or those that are on TDY or those that are away for college or those that are homebound, those that are able to gather but choose not to and never darken the doors of the church. To put it bluntly, those people may not be saved. It's hard to say, but it's true. Listen to 1 John chapter 2. The apostle John writes, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are all are not of us. Now, by the way, this is not to say that everybody's got to stay here at PBC, It's pretty regular for us to send members off to this or that different church, and that's okay if it's a church that preaches the gospel. But when somebody claims to be a Christian, is able to gather with God's people, and chooses not to, as a lifestyle choice, the Apostle John would say, you've gone out from us because you weren't really one of us. That's total neglect. Neglect. And then there's what John Owen calls partial neglect. Uh, These are the men and women who who don't prioritize the assembly as they should, but they haven't forsaken it entirely. These might be the people like in Tom Rayner's example at the beginning of the sermon, just choose to reduce their attendance by one week a month, just attending a little bit less than I used to. But I'm still there. So these folks that are partially neglecting the body, they need encouragement. They need pursuit. They need elders that ask them, how are you doing? How can I encourage you? How can I help you to get involved into the body? They need shepherds that that leave the 99 to go after the one. Here at PBC, when we don't see someone more than we do see them, That's when our elders need to have our radars up to chase after a sheep that's starting to wander. By the way, if you're a member here at PBC, by God's grace and with His help, you should not be able to wander long without one of your shepherds coming after you. Not with a hammer, but in love to bring you back to the flock. So there's total neglect, there's, Partial neglect, here's the question that matters more is where are you? Perhaps you're asking right now, well, how often can I miss and not be guilty of one of those types of neglect? Can I skip once a month? Twice a month? Three times? Those are the wrong questions, brother, sister. This is like trying to find out where's the line? Let me get as close as I can to it without crossing it. That's the wrong question. The right question is, when is it right for me not to be there? Rather than how often can I miss? Let me just share something that was shared in my fellowship group a couple of weeks ago that I think is particularly helpful here. Consistency? Consistency is better than intensity. Consistency is better than intensity. Okay, here's what that means when we think about church attendance. Some of you might think, man, I want to come to church and it just be amazing. Man, the sermon just knocked my socks off. The music was incredible. And I left on a spiritual high. Give me 10 Sundays like that a year and I'm good. Consistency is better than intensity means that 50 mediocre Sundays are better than 10 marvelous Sundays. God will do more through week after week after week of faithfully gathering with God's people, even sometimes when it hurts, even sometimes when the sermon was only okay, even sometimes when you didn't like the music. God will use that more than a few really fantastic spiritual experiences. In that sense, it's a lot like eating, isn't it? Now, every now and then, you get a fantastic meal. Man, it's just amazing. But if that's the only time you eat, you're going to be in trouble. Consistency is better than intensity. So gather, attend consistently, consistently. Second principle, attend deliberately. Attend deliberately, Look at verse 24 again. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. There's two verbs in that verse. The first is consider, and the second is stir up. So consider has the idea of deliberate thoughtfulness. You should show up to church on Sunday morning, Christian, with deliberate thoughtfulness. Now, I don't mean you show up deliberately thinking about, you know, the the glorious wonders of the Trinity, or the interchange between divine sovereignty and human responsibility. You can think about that, that's good. But what the author intends here is that you walk into these doors deliberately thinking about who? Your brothers and sisters. Do you see that in the text? Consider how to stir up one another. This is a call to walk into these doors thinking about those that you covenant with in membership, not first and foremost about yourself. This is a call for you to walk into these doors thinking about the membership. So let me just ask you, PBC member, do you know the people here? Do you know their needs? Do you know where they might be tempted? Do you attend church thinking only about yourself? Or do you gather thinking about those that gather with you? Call for deliberate thoughtfulness towards each other. The second word, to stir up, is a call for deliberate action. It's not enough for you to walk into these doors thinking about your church family, but the author of Hebrews would invite you to walk into these doors thinking about them and then acting on what you've thought. You consider how to do what? How to stir them up to love and good works. How can God use me to strengthen and encourage and equip and build up and comfort those in my church family today? Here's a question for you, Christian. Am I attending as a consumer or a contributor? When you gather, how do you gather? Third principle this morning, and here's where we start stepping on toes really hard, if I haven't already Attend physically. Attend physically. Verse 25, encouraging one another. Now, some of you right now are watching over live stream. Hello. We're glad you're watching. And we're so grateful for our ministry to have these services broadcast to those that can't be here or sometimes are traveling. And so watching online is the only opportunity to tune into what's happening at PBC for the Sunday. That's fine. But the encouraging one another that's supposed to happen in the local church cannot, I'm convinced, it cannot happen effectively effectively. Digitally, virtually. Think of all the ways that you can encourage physically that you can't encourage virtually. A handshake, a hug, eye contact, a smile, a conversation, an arm on the shoulder as you pray together. None of those things can happen virtually. Let me just, let's do an experiment together. I hadn't planned to do this, but I want you all to stand up. Stand up for just a second. And I want our AV team, could you get the second verse to the uh, last hymn that we sang, How Great Thou Art. Can you get that on the screen for us? We're going to experiment about the beauty of physically gathering. Can we do this together? Okay, we got the words on the screen. Can you sing with me? And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in that on the cross my burden gladly bearing he bled and died to take away my sin then sings my soul My Savior God to Thee, how great Thou art. How great Thou art. My soul, my Savior God to Thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Have a seat. Wasn't that wonderful? Other than being a little bit too high. (laughs) Sorry about that. But listen, can I just submit to you, as wonderful as that was in the room, it was horrible on live stream. (laughs) Guaranteed. Guaranteed. That's just one way that attending physically matters. It matters. You listen to me. You are more than your virtual avatar. Your body matters. Your vocal cords matter. Your physical presence matters. So as often as it is possible, attend physically. Gather physically with the people of God. I am not saying... Before I am misquoted, I am not saying livestream is wrong. I'm not saying it's not sometimes helpful, but I am saying it is no substitute for this. It's not. It can never be. Number four, attend strategically. Attend strategically. I've heard pastors berate their members sometimes even from the pulpit, for not showing up to Sunday school, Sunday morning worship, Sunday night worship, Tuesday night visitation, Wednesday night prayer meeting, Thursday night small group, Saturday morning outreach, and more. Show up every time the doors are open or you have forsaken the assembly. I think that sort of thinking is misguided and legalistic and wrong. Just, I'll just tell you off the bat, I don't attend every PBC event available to me. Okay? There are things that I just say no to, and that's okay. So we need to attend strategically. What sort of events on the church calendar should I prioritize, and in what order? Let me suggest what I think are the top three things you should prioritize, PBC member. Number one, this. This gathering. This is the main place where we use our spiritual gifts, where we flesh out the one another commands, where we celebrate baptism in the Lord's Supper, where we hear God speak to us in his word. So prioritize this. Number one, if you can attend anything in PBC calendar, gather weekly with us on Sunday mornings. Number two, I would encourage you to prioritize members meetings. That might seem strange to you, I'm going to hopefully explain why I think they're way more important than you think they are next Sunday, but once a quarter on Sunday nights, we have a members meeting. We have one next Sunday night. Here's my argument. It's really hard. In fact, it's almost impossible for you to fulfill your job description as a church member if you don't gather with us for members meetings as often as you can. So I would encourage you, church member, that's the second most important gathering of Pocosan Baptist Church is our quarterly members meetings. Number three, I would encourage you to attend fellowship groups. Again, that might seem strange, you know, what about Sunday school or women's ministry or men's ministry or whatever, but fellowship groups are one of the main pathways at PBC for building relationships with the body. There are dozens and dozens and dozens of one another commands that you are called to fulfill in the life of the church. It's really hard for you to do that if you don't know anybody. Fellowship groups are just a way to get to build relationships within the local church. And number four, I would say, whatever you have bandwidth or time or desire for. So if you have the bandwidth, if you've got plenty of free time, you can come to Sunday school, you can go to women's ministry stuff, men's ministry stuff, discipleship groups, whatever. If you've got time for it, praise God, do it. If you, if, if you don't have enough time or bandwidth to do the other things, then just focus on the main three. We, we just need to attend strategically. Number four, attend joyfully. Attend joyfully. Imagine I said to one of the men after the service this morning, I love you, bro, but I can't stand your wife. Man, I mean, I'll tolerate her if I have to, but she's annoying She's messy, she's hypocritical, she's rude, she's loud, she's a lot of work. How would you respond, husbands? (laughs) (laughs) By the way, that was hypothetical, I'm not saying that about anybody. Don't come up here, and (laughs) don't come at me, bro. Hopefully you wouldn't let me get away with that sort of disrespect, you shouldn't. If I truly love you, I'll love your bride, right? Isn't the same true for Christ? Can you love Jesus and hate His people? The answer in the New Testament is absolutely no. 1 John chapter 4 says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Mere church attendance without a joy-filled, overflowing love for Christ and his people means nothing. We need to attend joyfully because we love Jesus and we love his people. Family dinners matter. We need a frequency of week after week gathering with God's people to feast on his word together. We also need the special family meal that we're going to take in just a moment that we call communion. This meal that reminds us of the gospel. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, scripture says as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. 2,000 years later, Christians all over the world continue to observe this meal to remind ourselves and one another that we are forgiven not by our works, but by the work of Christ on the cross and our place. The bread we eat represents Jesus' body given to ransom His people. The cup that we drink represents His blood poured out to forgive our sins. If you haven't been forgiven, if you're not a Christian, who if you haven't yet made your faith public through baptism, we would respectfully ask you not to take the Lord's Supper with us. We would invite you to receive Christ and the next time we gather and take the Lord's Supper to take the Lord's Supper with us. If you are a Christian, in just a moment, we're going to invite you to take the Lord's Supper with us. I'm going to ask that after we pray, we're going to stand and sing a couple of verses of a song together. I'm going to ask our parents of little ones to head to PBC Kids and pick up your little ones so all of us can take the Lord's Supper together. Would you bow with me as we pray? Father, thank you for the goodness of your people. Thank you for the goodness of the gospel. Thank you for sending Jesus to live a sinless life and die a sinner's death, and to rise from the dead so that we can have eternal life. Lord, as we rejoice and sing with your people about your mercy, we pray, Father, that we would remember the body and the blood that was given for us. Father, we ask if there's any in this room that don't know this Jesus, That before they leave here today, they would put their faith in Him. Not in trying harder, not in attending better, but in what Jesus has done. And for those of us who are your people, may we leave here responding to what you've done for us by faithfully loving Christ and His people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand with me as we sing together.
1: Oh, church, arise and put your armor on. Hear the call of Christ our captain. For now the weak can say that they are strong. In the strength that God has given With shield of faith and belt of truth We'll stand against the devil's lies In army mode Whose battle cry is love Reaching out to those in darkness Are called to war of the captive soul but to rage against the captor. and with the sword that makes the wounded all, we will fight with faith and valor when faced with trials on every side we know the outcome is secure and Christ will have Prize for which she died an inheritance of nations. And Christ will have the prize for which she died, an inheritance of
0: nations. I invite you, if you will, to take your seats. I'm gonna ask our elders if they'll come to the tables. Let me just explain briefly how we celebrate the Lord's Supper here at PBC. Uh, First, in just a moment, uh, you're going to have some time to examine yourself and pray. Uh, If there is sin that's unconfessed in your heart, Christian, we would encourage you to bring that to the Lord and then thankfully praise him for his forgiveness. And when you're ready to come to one of the tables, you'll have a a Jesus, that Jesus and you moment there in your chair as you pray and prepare yourself. A Jesus in others moment as you come to the table, gather around with some close friends and pray family and one of your pastors will pray over you and pray with you and then uh, you'll take the bread at the table and take the cup back to your seat and we'll have a Jesus and everybody moment as the whole church together rejoices in the gift of Christ's blood shed for us so please pray with me one more time and then when you're ready uh, come into any of the tables and we'll serve you Father we thank you so much again for the goodness of the cross God the the injustice there that the sinless son of God would would die and yet the justice that you would through him and through his death show mercy to your people help us to be faithful to examine ourselves to confess any sin that we've not brought before you help us also to be faithful to rejoice in the gift that you gave yourself for us As we take the bread and cup together, Father, may we be drawn nearer to you and to each other. Remind us of your gift. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You come when you're ready.